This is recording number 11085 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 12, 2014. This is the second message in a series titled, The Dynamic Disciplines. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Prayer. Deepening the Relationship. Let's open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Last week we began a five-part series of messages called the Dynamic Disciplines. The Life-Giving Disciplines. Um, dynamic means living, lively. I said last week I like that word a lot. I want to be alive. I want to be lively. I'm not so fond of the second word, disciplines. Um, However, when they go together, they are beautiful. Life-giving disciplines. Now, there's no place in the Bible where you could turn today and, and find a list of the dynamic disciplines. But when you take the Bible as a whole, you quickly see that there are some things, some, some uh, things that we give ourselves to that are uh, fundamental, foundational to a life of of, uh, of faith in a significant, substantive way. Uh, if we want to have the kind of a relationship with God that we long for, the reason that you got up this morning and came here today is because you have a desire for that. If you want that kind of life, then these disciplines are important in that. You can't read the accounts of the men and women that, that are uh, populate the pages of the Bible without seeing these disciplines in action. You can't listen to the testimony or story or read the accounts of men and women who have gone before us or even who are alive today serving Jesus fruitfully, people that we admire, people we would like to aspire to be like. You can't get anywhere deep into their story without encountering these disciplines because they are a part of what it means to be someone who follows God who lives according to the Word of God in a way that produces life in them. So we're taking time at the beginning of 2014 to talk about these five things. And last week we talked about Bible reading under the subtitle, Truing the Compass. Today we're going to talk about prayer, deepening the relationship. Next week we're going to talk about fellowship, sharing the experience. Then evangelism, investing the treasure. And as I said last week, I'm giving you fair warning. On the first weekend of February, we're going to be talking about giving, loosening the grip. And when I say fair warning, that's so that you can plan your vacations and not be here on that day. I, but when I say that, my tongue is firmly in my cheek because the truth is that as much as it bothers me that some clowns have caused the reputation of the church connected to finances, God... The reputation of God, as it's related to finances, have so polluted that uh, concept in people's minds that I almost have to apologize to talk about it. But every single one of us in this room has to deal with money. Every one of us has to deal with money every single day. And uh, so when God speaks to us about our material resources, it's for our benefit and good. There's hardly anything on this list that I can say is more valuable or more important than understanding about that. So I'm actually looking forward to that week with you more than the others, even although I'm looking forward to talking about all this with you. 
Are we ready to go forward? Okay, so today we're going to talk about prayer. And you can't talk about, you know, oh my gosh. I need a little sympathy this morning because to talk about prayer is like an overwhelming subject. I mean, it's like on every single page of the Bible. You know, how do you, how do, you do this? And so as I was preparing to talk to you this morning, it just felt like such an overwhelming task. But I decided you cannot talk about prayer without talking about what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we find in Matthew chapter 6. And so we're going to read verses 5 through 13. This section breaks up into three parts as far as I'm concerned. Verses 5 through 8, the the invitation to pray. Um, Verses 9 to 10, the inversion of prayer. And then verses 11 through 13, the invasion of prayer. I really just, if, if nothing else, I want to talk to you about the invitation to prayer, those first few verses. But the teacher in me cannot read this passage without talking about the rest of it too. So I need a little sympathy this morning. And I promise I'm gonna, I won't belabor the point. What I really want to get at is the, the invitation to pray. But let's talk about the other two first. But first, let's read the passage, verse 5, chapter 6, Matthew. And when you pray, remember, uh, or, or let me make clear if, it's, if it hasn't ever been to you, what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father is not something Jesus taught us to pray in terms of repetition. repetition. He, didn't, he wasn't giving us a prayer to just repeat. He was giving us an outline, a template, a model for prayer. So he says, And you, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So, you know, for whatever it's worth to them to be seen by people as being so spiritual that they pray so well, that's their reward and that's all they're going to get. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 9 begins this model prayer, this template of prayer. And I want to start there and talk to you about the inversion. Inversion. To invert something means to take it from its current state and stand it right side up or upside down, however you want to talk about it. I'm talking about it standing right side up. Prayer is meant to, to take things that are upside down and stand them right side up. So much of our understanding about God, our understanding about life, our understanding about relationships, on and on it goes, is upside down. 
And prayer is what God uses. He draws us into prayer for the purpose of taking those things that are upside down, twisted backwards, and straightening them right side up. And so when Jesus says, he says, when he says to them, pray like this, he begins by using a three-letter word, our. Our. He could have said, my, pray this way, my Father who is in heaven. Excuse me. And that would have been appropriate. It's the way a lot of us pray. And it's not wrong. But when he said, this is, the, this is the template, this is the model, this is how you want you to pray. Pray this way, our Father. Why did he do that? Because it resists self-centeredness. Our tendency to be so focused on ourselves, it's all about me, is upside down from the way that God intended life to be lived. So he said, when you pray, let's straighten that right side up. Our Father, it's not about me. It resists self-centeredness and it releases faith because we recognize, wait a minute, I'm not in this alone. I'm not the only guy that has ever had to come to the Father and repent of something. I'm not the only person who's had to come to the Lord when I've been alone or feeling down and asking the Lord for his comfort or his presence. I'm not in this alone. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we are, we are, now you got me confused. I got to make sure I get that right. This is being recorded, right? So we got to make sure we're right here. That's what I'm wanting to do is cry just like that about right now. Hebrews chapter 12. In there he says that we are running a race And the bleachers, the stands are filled with a cloud of witnesses. Those who have gone before us along this road of faith. We are not alone. So Jesus said, let's pray this way. Pray our Father because it takes something that's been distorted, turned upside down, and it makes it right side up. And then he said, let's pray our Father. And that reorients our perspective. You know, my kids, when they, when they were in various sports, you know, soccer, basketball, softball, baseball, football, whatever it was, like a lot of your kids do, they played those sports. And you know what? There came a point in time where they actually understood the game and, and, <laughs> and cared about who won or lost. But for a long time, they didn't. They had no idea what the score was and didn't care. All they cared about was whether I was looking. That's all they cared about. They'd be running down the field. You know, trying to make sure my eye was on them. And dear ones, we're just the same. We need to know. Life was meant to be lived. Understanding that we have a father whose eye is on us. The Bible says that we're the pupil of his eye. The apple of his eye. That's what that means. His eye is on us always. It reminds us. Of relationship. So when we pray our Father, it also reassures us um, of access. You know, we, we're not coming to an institution where you have to, you know, fill out some application in triplicate and hopefully it gets through the, bu- bu- the bureaucracy and reaches, you know, the one who can make something happen. No! We come to a Father. He said, pray this way, our Father... In heaven, why did he say that? Well, because we often lose perspective. 
And so when we pray our Father in heaven, it reminds us that we are coming to the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's not lost in the forest. He hasn't lost sight of the forest for the trees. He understands it all. And sometimes that's how many of you need to be reminded of that from time to time. So prayer stands that right side up. It also reawakens us to his authority. He's in heaven because he's seated on the throne of sovereignty of all the universe. So when I come to him with whatever it is, there is no, it's no match for his power. Even the thing that you think is so overwhelming, the thing that you think is just so impossible, uh-uh. Our Father is in heaven, seated on the throne of all thrones. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or blessed or honored or revered or feared or respected be your name. He said to pray that way. Why? Because he, he needs it? No. Because we need it. We already talked about that some today. Because it reestablishes the sense of his presence. The Bible says when we worship, his, he, he is enthroned in our midst. Now, it really doesn't mean that he wasn't before, but it just means that we weren't sensitive to it. Prayer sensitizes my heart to, oh, God is here. And when I pray that way, when I say, blessed be your name, when I'm worshiping, honored, revered, respected be your name, suddenly I'm aware, whoa, you are here. And it realigns us with his victory. He is respected. He is honored. He is to be exalted because he rules over everything. The cross of Jesus Christ stands forever as the symbol that everything, including death and hell, has been conquered by him. So that's a good place to start when you're praying. It sets things that are upside down, right side up. But then he goes on and talks to us about the invasion of prayer because prayer is not just meant to be some sort of personal self-satisfying or self-accomplishing thing. No, God meant for prayer to be the launching pad of, in, of, a, of an invasion force that is taking back the territory of, that the kingdom of darkness has, used, has encroached upon. And prayer is that platform. No, uh, no work of God, no revival, no... Uh, nothing of that sort that has ever been experienced by humankind has ever begun any place but from a platform of prayer. That's where, that's where this invasion begins. And that's part of what he was teaching us to pray. He says, your kingdom come. You know, there were plenty of times years ago when I was working in the, uh, in the technology business. I'd be sitting there in my little cubicle in a vast farm of cubicles. <laughs> And thinking, where is God? <laughs> and, and hear the Spirit of the Lord say, I'm here. And you kind of have to kind of get used to that. Well, okay. The kingdom of God has invaded this place through me. All right, Lord, your kingdom come and start here in this eight foot by eight foot cubicle. Your kingdom come. We are taking territory when we pray that way. Your will be done, he said. Pray that way. Your will be done. Why? Because God's will is not always being done in the world around us. You ever figured that out? The will of someone else is often being done. And it's nasty. It hurts people. 
It ruins them. The Lord said, pray this way. Pray, your will be done. God's will be done here. Your marriage is falling apart. Let me stand with you in prayer. Let me agree with you that the God who wants something better for you is going to take place. Your will be done here. Your will be done. He said, when we pray that way, when we are praying your will be done, we are restoring his rule. Imagine, as I walk through this, imagine an invading force taking territory, establishing the rule of that realm. And then he said, pray this way, give us this day. And he's talking about securing supply, opening up the supply lines. Imagine a people who have been starved. Imagine you're part of the of the, uh, some group of soldiers from World War II coming to a concentration camp and opening the gates for the first time on a people who have been starved, who have been broken in every sense people can be broken, and reopening the floodgates of blessing and life. That's, that's what the Lord said, to pray that way. Open the floodgates of my life so that it can flow to the people who are starving and shriveled up and need my touch. He said to pray this way, forgive us, forgive us. And when we do that, it's not only about us. We are announcing amnesty. Dear one, no matter what you've ever done, there is forgiveness with God for that. There is forgiveness with God. He said, deliver us. Pray that way. Deliver us from the evil one. Well, what does that mean? So, again, an invading force coming in, taking back territory that's been usurped by another, restoring the rule of the kingdom that you represent, opening up or restoring the lines of supply and life-giving nourishment to people who have been taken captive and announcing, hey, there is freedom, there is amnesty, there's no, not going to be any war crime tribunals here. And then rebuilding the ruins. Deliver us from what the evil one has done. And the shattered effects of his, shattering effects of his encroachment. Okay, I know I blasted through that pretty quickly, but I had to. I had to. (laughs) But I want to get to now verses 5 through 8, which is really my intent for this morning. An invitation to pray. The invitation of prayer. And I'm going to tell you a story. Because about seven, eight years ago now, I've lost track exactly. I had an experience that really changed, reoriented the way that I pray. And it came in a very unusual, unexpected way. Sue and I had fairly recently moved here uh, to Solano County, to Vallejo, to Mare Island. Uh, We had become pastors of this church. And... uh, Sue was making monthly trips to uh, L.A. to help care for her um, mother who had cancer and uh, be with her, her dad and mom there. And, and she had made one of those trips on, on a weekend. And it was Sunday afternoon, and I was going to go to... Uh, I actually was on my way to um, uh, Oakland Airport to pick her up and bring her home. Now, on Sunday afternoon... I, it's, I don't expect you to understand this. I'm not whining or complaining or anything. It's just part of, of life as a, you know, it's part of my life anyway. On Sunday afternoon, uh, I, I go through a, a, 
a drop off where I've had this I've had this uh, adrenaline thing going all week, and then Sunday afternoon, and I go over the edge there, and <laughs> and all I really want to do. All I really want to do is eat a gallon of ice cream and watching, watch something violent on TV. <laughs> I don't usually get that opportunity, but... But anyway, it's... Uh, so, when I'm in that, <laughs> that post-adrenaline stupor, I'm, I'm quiet. Sue will tell you, I'm, I get quiet and zombie-like, you know. So that's the state I'm in. I'm driving to the airport. It's nothing, it's, I told, nothing spiritual at all. And I'm, I'm not expecting any kind of encounter with God at all. This is just a completely mundane, everyday kind of thing. I'm going to pick my wife up from the airport. I did pick her up. We're on the way home. And we get off the freeway. We're coming through around the waterfront in Vallejo there and passed by the ferry terminal. And I heard God speak to me. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago when we're listening for God's voice, listen for the fact that he, won't, he doesn't often speak to you when you demand it. It's most often when you don't. Why? Because then you know it's him, not you. So we're driving by the ferry terminal. I'm in my, my post-adrenaline stupor and I'm not expecting to hear anything from God. In fact, truth be told, I don't want to hear from God right then. But I did hear from the Lord. And he said to me, he said, meet me. On the ferry tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of that. But I know that the, I knew. I, I mean look I've been doing this. Walking with Jesus long enough. I know when he's speaking to me. And, and he was. Meet me on the ferry tomorrow. Now usually what I, what I try to do. I'm not very good at this. But I usually try to take Mondays off. And, and I had that week. I had planned to take Monday off. And uh, so I didn't have to rearrange my schedule or anything to, to ride the ferry to San Francisco. I'd never done it before. I didn't know how long it took or I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But I made the decision, all right, I'll, whatever this means, I'll be there. So I got up the next morning. I got on my bike and I rode across the Mare Island Bridge and to the ferry terminal. And I bought a ticket and I, I went and sat down in a little coffee shop that's there. And by the way, they have some really good banana bread in that place. So I sat down, I had some of the banana bread, and I was just waiting for the ferry because, well, anyway. So it pulls in, and I, I don't really know what to do, but I, some people helped me, and I actually got on the ferry, and, and I'm, I'm like looking around, God, you know. <laughs> and, and there wasn't anything, there was no, you know, shining lights or voices speaking or anything, it was just me on a boat with a bunch of other people, and we make our way to San Francisco across the San Pablo Bay there. I had a book with me. I started to read some of the book. I watched the scenery go. I had never seen Mare Island from the water like that. I, there was a lot of things I, you know, I'd never seen. There was a lot of things along the way I hadn't seen from that perspective. And I was just, you know, taking it in. We got to the ferry terminal in, um, in San Francisco. And I wasn't sure whether I should get off. They told me the, that that ferry would continue on to Pier 39. I said, okay. So I stayed on the boat and we... Went on to Pier 39. I did get off there because that's the end of the line. Otherwise, I'd be heading back to Vallejo. So I got off there. I walked around Pier 39 for a little while. I meandered up the street to Ghirardelli. I, I got on the um, cable car. I rode that down to Powell and Market. <laughs> 
what are we up to? Three modes, modes of transportation now, bike, ferry, cable car. Um, so I got down to Powell and Market, and I walked around the, the Westfield Shopping Center there a little bit. I, I, and then I just hiked it down Market Street towards uh, the ferry terminal. I was going to catch the ferry back to Vallejo. Stopped in at a Starbucks. They're like every 500 feet there along Market Street. And sat down for a while and had something to drink and read the book that I brought along with me and got to the ferry terminal. I'd really never been in there. I walked around there for a while, got on the boat, came home. And uh, got on my bike and I started to ride home. And I was just thinking, wow, something happened to me today. This was so refreshing. I would have never planned this for, my, for myself. I'd a, I would never, I don't do that. I would never have scheduled something like that for me. But I was, I was riding thinking, wow, this was really good. The rest- restoration of my soul that happened that day. It was a beautiful day in the city and just all the, I don't know, nothing, nothing particular but just no agenda, the taking in the sights and just feeling rested and refreshed. Got to the Mare Island Bridge and I was riding across it and I heard the Lord speak to me again. And he said, this is what I want prayer to be like for you. Restorative to your soul. Not a have to, not an obligation. I want this to restore your soul. This is what I want prayer to be like. Excuse me. Verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is a pretender, an actor. He said, you'll not be, don't be like the hypocrites. And he's talking about the religious people who, you know, he says they pray to be seen. They pray for whatever benefit they might receive out of looking like they're spiritual. Boy, we get this prayer stuff so wrong. And so much of our praying often is, is for the benefit of other people. In my role, I do, maybe not so much for you, but... Undoubtedly, in some ways, this is the same for you too. But I do a lot of public praying. And I have to be so careful that my public praying isn't about the people I'm praying to. I mean, I'm praying with, excuse me. But the one I'm praying to. It's really something I have to constantly keep in focus because it's so easy to get into this pretending thing, to this acting thing, acting spiritual. Oh, yes. I pray every day. How about you? You know, really. We get this so wrong. Jesus said, when you pray, move beyond religion. Don't give in to this pretense thing. And then in verse 8, he says, therefore, don't, uh, excuse me, verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't. Pray vain repetitions like the heathen. The heathen are people who are not sure there's anybody on the other end of the line. Don't pray like you're not sure someone's listening. Don't go through the ritual of prayer. 
You know, he said, don't pray like the heathen for the, I mean, uh, the hypocrites for, for the benefit of, of what other people think of you. And he said, don't pray like the heathen for the benefit of some unknown angry God, some ritual that might please him. Don't pray that way. That's not what prayer is. And he said, they think they're going to be heard for their many words. It's not about quantity. It's not about how much or how little we pray. It's about to whom we pray and in what context are we praying? What's, what are we trying to accomplish? That that's what the issue is. And then he says, Therefore, don't be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. And now he's addressing this thing of so much of our praying that is need-focused. We bring to him, look, I pray with lists. I could not get, I pray for a lot of people. I pray for all of you two or three times a week. I pray for a lot of people around the world. I could not get through my, my prayer times of intercession for all those people if I didn't use lists. I use lists. I bring my list of people that I'm praying for to the Lord. So I'm not saying that that's not appropriate, but I'm saying that can't be what prayer is about. It's not about needs and getting needs met. Lord, I need this, 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 and this. They need this, this, and this. Please do these things. It's not, it can't be. He says, look, I'm your father. I know what you need. Before you ask, I'm so in love with you. You can't even bring to me something I don't already know and care about. Let's don't waste our time. With that. And then in verse 6 he says here. When you pray. Go into your room. And when you've shut your door. Pray to your father. Who's in the secret place. He has invited us into intimacy. You know. There are four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they give us from a different vantage point, a record, each of them from a different vantage point, a record of the life and ministry of Jesus. So we get a 360 view of his, of his life and ministry. It's really wonderful. And we're reading Matthew's account of this. But Luke, when he gives us a, some detail that, that Matthew doesn't, and it's pretty profound. Because he gives us the context for why Jesus even talks to them about, why he gives them the template of prayer. And, and here's what Luke says. You don't have to turn there. But he says, he records the fact that Jesus had been praying. Uh, you know, just him praying to the Father. And the disciples are observing him. They're watching him. And when he's finished, they come to him and they say, Whoa, would you teach us to do that? It wasn't, the Lord's Prayer isn't Jesus saying, hey, listen up, you need to pray, and here's how you do it, and here's how much, and all. It was, it was, it was something that the disciples longed for. They saw what Jesus was experiencing when he was communing with the Father, and they said, hey, can you help us get in on that? Prayer is meant to be a time of intimacy with God. He says, go, he says when you pray, forget all this other mess. Go into your closet, close the door, shut off this, all of the uh, interferences that you can, and let's just you and me be alone together. I'm going to tell you something that's, I'm sure, too much information. I'll probably hear about it later from my bride. But when she and I, when she and I make love, we close the door to the bedroom. 
There's only two of us in the house. But we still close the door because it's a private, sacred thing to us. No one else belongs there. No other thought belongs there. No other fantasy or imagination belongs there. Prayer is supposed to be like that. Intimate with God. And then he said, there'll be great blessing that flows out of that. He said, he said, your reward will be open. I will reward you openly. That's not why we pray. But like me writing back from, from that experience of that day that the Lord ordered for me that I never would have ordered for myself. And just recalling the benefit and blessing of his great grace, mercy on my life that day. The Lord wants to reward us.